everyone. Welcome to episode number 92 of the Live Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm Andrew Coates, and I'm joined today. I get to welcome Dr. Caleb Burgess. Uh, and Caleb is a combination of things that I love seeing together. He's a certified strength and conditioning coach and a doctor of physical therapy. And there are a number of people in the industry, I'll go into that after, who I respect who merge those worlds because I find that's almost a perfect combination of of education to tackle a lot of real world problems for fitness professionals and the end users. Uh, and of course, you're also a very effective educator uh, when it comes to training, injury, rehab, that entire umbrella of stuff, and not just for athletes, but for the general population too. So I really wanted to bring you on because of that umbrella of stuff. So welcome. It's great to have you. Thanks, man. Good to be here. Awesome. So I can launch right in. I don't, I don't yeah, uh, usually ask for the origin stories or any of that kind of stuff. But, uh, <laughs> that makes it easier. Yeah, totally. Right. Um, we can waste 20 minutes on that. But uh, like I said, I've long been a big fan of the physical therapists in our space who have assumed, and, and we're going to go have a long conversation that'll meander around this topic about a positive role um, as an educator in the fitness industry. And I, I definitely point to people like uh, my friends, Dr. Sam Spinelli, uh, uh, Dr. Tim DeFrancesco, certainly uh, Dr. Jen uh, Fraboni and Quinn Hennick, Dr. Quinn Hennick as well. So they're just a few there's a lot of other people who kind of, you know, fit that umbrella. And how would you characterize your approach to education, uh, both for other fitness professionals and for the end users we're trying to help? Yeah, I would say I, I try to make things. I think this is maybe from my own learning, I guess you could say, handicap. <laughs> I think I might have undiagnosed ADHD. <laughs> and so I like to I have to keep things as simplified as possible. Now, it doesn't mean I can't understand complex topics, but I try to focus on simplifying things as much as possible. And with working with enough clients and patients, you realize how important that is to talk on layman's terms. So when I first started my page, and even to now, I try to keep things as simple as possible. I don't get in try to I don't try to get in on all the medical speak or the technical jargon. Sometimes it's necessary, but I try to always explain what I'm saying and why I'm saying it. Um, so really, the page is more to educate the, I guess you could say the person who is an active person, maybe not necessarily a trainer. Um, I'm sure that trainers and other physical therapists can learn stuff from my page, but I'm really trying to reach out to general population, active individuals um, who like to exercise, who want to learn more, but maybe sometimes things go over their head or they want to like learn tips and, and things that can help them with recovering from injury, getting over a chronically painful issue how to train smarter and by all means like i am a physical therapist first strength conditioning specialist second i'm not working with people most people on like a hey strictly performance standpoint it's usually hey i have these performance goals i want to achieve but i have this injury or I have this pain and that i love that because that's why i like having both because if we get them past that lower level issue not, not lower level but that issue they have where they can't really do much activity then we get them to the higher levels where maybe pain is not as big of a limit limitation i don't need to necessarily send them to somebody else sometimes yes if it's more specific to an area that i'm not like if it's in a they're like an olympic weightlifter at a super high level or i'm not going to be the one who's i want to give them to somebody else right but if it's like hey you, they have high level goals and sports and things that i do have a good background on then i can still work with them which is cool i don't have to feel like oh this is out of my wheelhouse you know and then guys like Quinn Hennick and Sam Spinelli, they are they'd be perfect uh, for that to Olympic lifting, right? So yes, like go to them, please, because I don't, I, I mean, I understand the basic concepts, but if you want to go to a really, really high level, 
not, probably not the best guy for that. Or I can work with somebody else that is. And there's space for all you guys and girls in the industry who have these, you know, like focuses in areas of niche and subspeciality. So that's cool. Yeah. And you, you basically said something really simple within there. That's a fundamental truth for all fitness professionals. Your messaging is created for the person you're trying to help not to impress other fitness professionals. And I take that a step further that I think other fitness professionals, like at least the smart ones, respect the people whose messaging is great at reaching the end user versus the people who, you know, are trying to impress. Like I, one of the great examples, and, and Jordan Side has said this numerous times all over his media. When he was a young trainer, he was trying to write stuff to impress Eric Cressy, right? Because he was a <laughs> at Cressy's sports performance early in his career. Whereas he's learned that lesson. And now Jordan is probably one of the preeminent educators to the, uh, you know, his messaging to the general population. And he just also so, happens to have a very large following of other coaches to where he can mentor them too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's something that... Um... <laughs> It, I like how you said that other coaches can respect that because it, ha it hasn't happened as much on my page. I'm not a super polarizing page. So, but I have had random people reach out sometimes and they, I don't know if they're having a bad day or whatever. And they talk down on my posts or whatever I put up because I'm not using all this technical jargon, almost like I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, hey, the whole point of my page is to try to get everybody to understand what I'm saying. So just because I'm not using this technical jargon that you might've learned in your course that you took or whatever that you're all pumped out, up about, doesn't mean I don't know what I'm talking about. It just means that's not the language. I have to speak the language of the people I'm trying to reach. I'm not gonna speak this language of other physical therapists if I'm not trying to reach physical therapists or other strength coaches, you know? And it's the concept of basically being comfortable with knowing that that person isn't your audience yeah and not trying to be everything to everybody um, I mean there's another side to all this stuff too I mean like any of this presumes that other coaches and traders don't deal with common injuries all the time and that's complete nonsense like yeah on, I my left shoulder uh just does not have the range of motion or the strength that it did before you know and I don't know mm -hmm. when it can cause just I think a, a number of converging factors over the years and I do the best I can with it, but I modify a lot of my movements. And I got a couple of really smart local physical therapists who've, who've looked at it before. And yeah. everybody in our world has shit that hurts and doesn't cooperate. So <laughs> yeah. uh, we, have, we, we get hurt too. So, you know, in a way, you still are an educational resource to the end user if those end users happen to be coaches. Yeah, I've, I've actually worked personally with a lot. And I, I get surprised sometimes. I work with a lot of coaches, um, surprisingly... I guess depending on how you look at it, or unsurprisingly, a lot of one second, yeah. a lot of CrossFit coaches too. Um, and what's cool about that is uh, the fact that other coaches can reach out for help. And a lot of them usually say, "Hey, I've tried to do stuff myself, and I just I don't understand what's going on or whatever." And I think that shows a lot um, from their perspective too that they are willing to say, like, like kind of leave their ego at the door and say, "Hey, I I'm going to." hire someone else to help me with this problem. And usually it's great working with those people because I don't have to go and I know they have a lot of background information. I just need to give them the tools they need. Um, and usually I don't need to work with them for too long. I just need to like help them understand it better and what they can do. And then they can take it on their own. But um, like you said, we're all dealing with stuff. And even as I think earlier on on my page, I, I 
didn't want to highlight any facts of when if I had a back pain flare up or <laughs> something like that. Whereas now I think people actually appreciate that because they, they realize like, Hey, just because he's a physical therapist doesn't mean he can't get injured from time to time. It doesn't mean he's an idiot. doesn't mean that you're dumb because you have shoulder issues. It just means that stuff happens in life. And sometimes there's, there's only so much we can control for. Now, if you weren't trying to make, take any steps to try to improve it, then like, hey, what are you doing there? <laughs> but at the same time, you're going to have aches and pains. Everybody's going to have that. And it's okay to admit that. So. So let's, let's go into something that we sort of like touched on off air beforehand. So this is sort of nuanced. And if people within the industry are starting to notice uh, the rise of a sort of a, a faction within the physical therapy world, and you're smiling because you know where we're going. And I find that the faction, it's built its brand around calling out, um, I mean, ostensibly a lot of the pseudoscientific bullshit that floats around within the fitness industry board, but also adjacent to it. Uh, but it also has definitely wandered into targeting people who are generally well-respected, you know, fitness professionals, prominent figures in the industry, uh, either that they've made unsubstantiated claims or the semantics of how they've said something. And there's a very broad spectrum of people who sort of end up being the subjects of, of this targeting. And it's, it's nuanced and complicated. And of course, anybody listening who's aware of this, they kind of have an idea what I'm talking about. And even then, I'm not trying to call this out. I want to understand what's going on and help the fitness professionals who are seeing this navigate it. Because, you know, some friends of mine have been targets of this community, which has led to spilling over onto me as I sort of stuck up for it. And I found that there are some intelligent, well-intentioned people within it that I can learn from. And I've had positive interactions and there are some individuals within who are malevolent bullies who have grabbed onto this as a way, as an outlet for just the fact that they're bullies. So, and, and there, there's, there's both. So your thoughts about kind of why this is occurring, what's going on here and, you know, where's the line between, you know, help being helpful in dispelling misinformation and, and when it becomes, you know, this malicious tribal echo chamber. Yeah. And like, like you said, we talked about this a little bit beforehand and, and my thoughts are, and I've, I've communicated with people that have pages that are dedicated to calling out stuff. And <laughs> a lot of the, the people that do that, um, they have good intentions. Like you said, like they, they, and, and you and me have experienced too, right? Like we've seen so much stuff online and especially with like, I mean, Instagram, but especially like TikTok, like there's so much stuff out there. You're like, what the hell are they talking? And people have no idea to know what's right or wrong. So there's a part of it that's needed and I think it's important and there's, there's humor that's involved in a lot of these pages. They try to make it kind of funny to call this stuff out. But at the same time, I think sometimes, uh, not sometimes, a lot of the time, the people that get very entrenched in these communities, um, whether they know it or not, maybe they kind of tend to try to take after these individuals sometimes without knowing the full story. Maybe the individual that posted it does, but they're just trying to call out the bullshit. But then someone who's following them just thinks like, Oh, like, this is great. Like we're all like in this together. Like just, let's just get on these people and then just like pound people in the comments. And it gets to the point, like you said, where it's like, okay, guys, let's calm down. Like, let's try to have a discussion here. Like, it's okay to say something is unsubstantiated, but not have to just like attack the person's character and, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So it, it definitely, there's, there's a lot of aspects that I don't like about it. 
I do think we do need to call out misinformation personally, even the guys that I respect that do it. A lot of times I don't agree with how they do it completely, but I'm not, I can't control them. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and personally, if I was to do it, and I have done it actually on my page, I don't know how many posts you've seen it, but I always try to provide this heavy dose of like, I like, I might be a little bit edgy, but mm-hmm. I try to give more nuance as to like, hey, I can understand why someone might say this, or here's the reason why not. And then if people are like attacking me in my comments, I try to have like communicate with them and say, hey, I totally understand why that's your viewpoint, like how you're supposed to communicate. And again, some of these guys do. I've seen it. Sometimes they're a little bit too aggressive with it. <laughs> and th- again, it's very gray area. Um, but there's some. There's definitely good and bad to it, in my opinion. It's it's complicated. I mean, I've noticed a similar trend within the biomechanics tribe. Oh yeah. And you have you know a few individuals at the very tops of it who are you know, kind of popularized everything. And then I've noticed that there's sort of the second layer who are taking that information and oftentimes misinterpreting it or making very extreme statements. And then, of course, there's argument about it. So and again, I don't want to get into specifics of, of what the arguments are or who's involved in these things, but we're seeing more and more of this kind of stuff. And I think at the end of the day, maybe it's just this human nature, uh, you know, to become part of a tribe, to belong yeah. to something, to, you know, sort of be combative. Uh, you know, yeah. in or I always say that wrong. It's combative, but uh, to combative me, is fine. <laughs> Whatever you want to say. I just caught myself there. <laughs> uh, and I think maybe there's just a human nature about it because we also see this sort of thing when it comes to nutritional ideology. I mean, Jesus, they're they're wild. And you know, some people oh, point yeah. to saying, "Well, you know, wh- why is it not okay for people to do this about you know pain and injury stuff when you know, Lane Norton goes and does it about nutrition?" And one of my big things I like to to point to Lane because I'm a huge fan of Lane and what he's done over the years is Lane has a massive library of resources about Mm -hmm. education when it comes to all aspects of nutrition, right? And Lane certainly to a degree built some of his following based on him being a bit more bombastic, but he also tends to target large verifiable you know, personalities and charlatans within the industry. And I find that Lane, it's it's not a good idea to try to copy Lane's tactics to build a brand and a following from <laughs> the ground up by trying to replicate what Lane does. Lane is uniquely capable of doing that. He's got the the emotional stamina to handle kind of the back and forth. And quite frankly, you know, there's a little bit of, of this being a, a two-way dead. It's the, it's Batman and the Joker between Lane and some of the individuals that he spars with, because I mean, why why don't they just block each other, right? They don't block each other because they, <laughs> you know, it's it's this it's this tribal battle, and it very much is kind of the Joker needs bad bad Batman needs a Joker, and I think some people kind of point to Lane as being like, well, it's okay because he does it. It's like I think you're missing a point. If your goal is to put yourself out there, I think you need to build a really big foundation of credible educational information. And then, you know, you can then turn around and, and target the, and again, I have no issue with targeting the verifiable charlatans of the industry, but I feel like it's crept more and more into picking fights with, you know, maybe the semantics and the wording of people who otherwise have a legacy of being positive and, and supportive. Now, the yeah. flip side is that doesn't mean that those people get a pass on saying yeah. whatever they want. Yeah. So, and I don't think there's a clear answer to this. I mo- mostly just want to, 
you know, get fitness professionals to kind of be alert to this sort of stuff. And here's one of the big ones. How, what's your advice to a young fitness professional who now is seeing this stuff and is fearful of it or confused by it? And it is creating fear about them. Trainers are scared shitless to begin with, to put stuff out on social media, to put themselves <laughs> out there for fear of criticism or what have you. Yeah. This stuff's going on now, that's making it worse. So yeah. me, and I know the argument on the other side is, well, no, it has to be backed up by a study. Uh, okay, you guys can get a little bit pedantic and carried away with that crap. Um, but what are your thoughts on that nuance? And what would you say to the fitness professional? Because a lot of my uh, my listeners are trainers who are, this stuff is actually scaring the shit out of them. And they, they're, they're yeah. terrified to put themselves out there. Well, first of all, if, if, you're, if you're scared shitless about this, I understand why. Because you read some of these comments <laughs> and... You're like, holy, I don't want to be a part of this. And and sometimes I I will literally be like, oh, I don't know if I even want to post this post. Do I have the energy today to, to mm -hmm. deal with this? Like if I'm going to call something out, and again, I don't do it in this like, like super aggressive way. Um, but even that, I'm like, oh man, I got to make sure I have the mental fortitude and time to deal with this. And sometimes I won't even post something, not because I'm scared, but just because I know it's going to take a lot of effort on my end to go back and explain things and provide even more nuance and you know, but anyway, so what I would say to people who are scared about starting is number one, I think it's actually a good thing in a way that people are somewhat scared because just being able to go on and just say whatever the hell you want, I don't think that's really great. Mm -hmm. So I think there should be a, a small aspect of like, shoot, I may better make sure that I have good backing for what I'm saying, or I can explain it really well. I can't just throw this stuff out there and expect people to disbelieve with everything and everything I say. I think that's important, but at the same time, don't be so scared that you don't put anything out. I think going, understanding that, hey, we're all learning. Even the guy, the people that you look up to are still, they should at least still be learning and being able to accept when they maybe made a mistake or stuff they said in the past maybe isn't as, I guess, rock solid as they might've thought. And that's kind of what makes the whole industry cool is the fact that we're always learning and there does need to be a lot more research. So I think if you go out there and you do your best to try to, get the background information and everything you've learned and provide a good post and be prepared for people to call you out. And if they do, it doesn't mean that you need to crawl into a cage. You might, can, maybe you can learn something from it. You can also show that you are more of an expert in the area. If you can give a, have a good conversation with this person. And if it is in your comment section, people love to read through comment sections. Like it's like or on YouTube, Instagram, like people love to read through these discussions and it shows a lot about your character. If you could take somebody who is even malicious and you can respond to them in a way that isn't malicious, that is human and trying to understand. And maybe if they're being a complete asshole, yes, of course, if you need to respond in a way that lets them know you're being an asshole, that's fine. But at least trying to show that, Hey, you're professional and you are open to criticism, but that's part of the, that's part of the whole process. And that's going to be your whole career is you have to be open to changing. Um, but at the same time, I, I wouldn't be so scared of this criticism that you don't put anything out there. And I've noticed that the larger your following gets and the more, for lack of a better word, prominence someone gains within the industry, the more you can be sort of a target for it. So if yeah. anything, you know, anybody who's starting out and is just working on building their social media and serving, I mean, at the end of the day, I tell people it's about serving the person who's already there in front of you who wants your help. And if you don't do that out of fear that someone else, some other fitness professional is going to come in and criticize you, then you're actually not helping the people that need the help the most. So again, I agree with you. Don't let it stop you. 
But people who are just sort of starting out don't have the big followings. Rarely, if unless you're saying some really egregiously stupid crap, and I don't think anybody listening is the, that type, then you're not going to be the target of. That's true. Cool. So That's I think true. if you get to the point where you've gained following and you know you've you've gotten a career out there to the point where a lot of people know about you. Well, that's a nice problem as it is. So there you can yeah. kind of take the other crap uh, along with it. So yeah, that's true. And they're going to target people that have a much bigger following because if they're doing it from like a, I guess you could say uh, good intentions, they, they don't want more people, like a bunch of people to hear something that they think is incorrect. Mm -hmm. um, or if they're doing it from not the best intentions, they're going to use, try to piggyback off that person who has a large following to maybe start something. So there's um, a theme within a lot of this stuff that I think is actually kind of important. And it makes me really think. So you made a comment in there and just paying attention because I have the sort of mental bandwidth to take note of trends and shit that goes on in the industry. It, it does indeed help me with how I approach things, how I write ideas, the topics I want to touch on. And one of the particular topics is, you know, kinesiophobic language. And I mean, I generally think historically i've been thoughtful about that i definitely don't like using language that makes people feel broken or damaged or, or dysfunctional i hate that stuff but even the nuance in how we say things you know i think being alert to not saying things that create fear around movement is really important so i wanted to sort of dive into that and then i i think one of the most common proxies discussions is sort of the idea about you know, deadlifting with a rounded back, which I think is a very nuanced conversation because certainly there is a lot of research or there is research that points to the fact that there is not a strong relationship or no relationship at all between lifting with a rounded back and an injury risk. Uh, so I wanted to kind of throw that to you and you can take that wherever you want. Uh, and I'll qualify with one more thing too. I know within sort of this community, and they'll know who I'm, I'm talking about if any of them hear it, they, they sort of worship the the rounded back deadlift you know this jefferson idea, <laughs> which while i get it i think to me personally my opinion is that this is the pendulum swung so yeah. the other side <laughs> that it's sort of absurd so you know your thoughts on that all there's so many layers to that <laughs> i guess we could start with the jefferson curl sure. or jefferson deadlift so um my understanding of it, and I could be wrong here, is that I think the reason why that first started to come out more is because individuals, they wanted to, and myself included, we wanted to show people like, hey, you can train this, you can build up slowly, you can do this, and your back can still be okay. Like, th there are some people who have this very black and white, like rounded deadlifts are horrible, you're going to blow out your disc, all this stuff. And we know that's not really true. Again, there's more nuance there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was the original intent. And then, like you said, with most, with most things, the excitement and the pendulum swings way too far. And then what I think sometimes happens is that, like you said, people get in these tribes or these echo chambers to a degree where within their community, they become so like hardcore, like let's show this like a lot and constantly talk about how it's okay to do this. And again, it is technically okay. But if somebody's just coming in and trying to learn stuff and they don't know anything about any background of all the research and Stu McGill and his research and 
that they are the research that's refuted some of the stuff that he found. <laughs> like, if nobody knows that, and they might be like, "What? What the hell do I do? Like, do I want to round my back? Do I not want to round? <laughs> like, how do I? Is do, should I care about my technique? And like, so it's almost like if you're if you're viewing it from a very if you have a lot of background information already, and you you've already you've already had these strong beliefs for a long time. I think in, to a degree, it's kind of cool to see this stuff. It's like, oh, you can take it in a different way. But if you're maybe a lot more novice in your understanding of things, it can be really super confusing. And I think a lot of those people might not realize how it's coming off to the novice people who don't know all the background information or don't have strongly held beliefs. Um, and and really, at the end of the day, the message you're trying to get across will be different to different people. So to piggyback off that, I, I used to be, when I was starting out, I came from, I had a lot of great mentors and a lot of great schooling in physical therapy. And it was very, very much about movement quality, movement-based, which I think is great to understand kinesiology and biomechanics and stuff. Um, and so I was heavy into that. And I still, under, I still understood to a degree, I had background information that I learned about like uh, how complex pain is. Now it's not just related to bi biomechanics. And there's so many other things like poor recovery, poor uh, like how you train, like your volume management, all that kind of stuff. Huh? Hydration status. All yeah. All that stuff. Stress levels. If you just broke up with your girlfriend five, years, you know, all that stuff can play into it for sure. It all contributes, but I was a lot more heavy into the, like, Hey, you have to have good movement quality all the time. And I still think technique and movement quality is important for sure. But the more people that I've worked with, especially people who've suffered from persistent or chronic pain symptoms, the more that you see how many of these people are so hypervigilant and scared and that they, they might not even like, you might not even see that at the beginning, but if you dig deeper, you see like this person is scared to death that if they move the wrong way, like, and, and so it's, it's holding them back and they're actually having more pain. And sometimes you need to actually tell these people and it's really hard for your brain to wrap around this sometimes, especially if you come from this very movement has to be great. Technique has to be great background. You have to explain to these people like, Hey, you know what? I, I don't want you to think about it so much. Just pick the weight up off the ground, you know? And, and sometimes some people that might hear this might be like, what is he talking about? <laughs> like you have to, and technique does matter, but at the same time you have to, the person you're talking to, it has to make sense for. So there's other people where I, I you can obviously see there's a technique error. And if you just tweak something, they're going to feel better. And then they do. I'm not going to tell that person, like, oh, just do whatever the hell you want, right? And it never should be that black and white. You need to read the person in front of you. I don't know if I was going way too off the rails there. But what I'm just trying to say is that um, this black and white thinking is not helpful. And I think a lot of these guys that, that talk about this stuff, they might look very black and white. But if you actually sat down and talked to them, a lot of them will kind of say the same thing I'm saying. But maybe in my opinion, I think a lot of them might not understand how black and white they're making it look and they're making themselves look like they're so far on this end of the spectrum. And then the people that are on the other end of the spectrum want to fight with them. And if they actually sat down and talked and like had a civilized conversation, got on the phone or something or in person, they might be like, oh, I, I, I totally agree with the things you're saying to a degree. Not all of them, but I think a lot of them would. Like, that's exactly what I wanted. That's the nuance. Right? <laughs> of course, social media does allow for that sort of nuance, which is why I like podcasting. One of the ways that I think about the rounded back deadlift is thinking about it almost as a skill. Would I turn around to a brand new client and use a whole bunch of fear-based language say, oh, you have to have your, your back straight or else things will explode? God, no. But I'm also going to turn around and say to that person without educating them on how to move, eh, 
it, like quote as sort of as you just said in a different context but like just pick it up doesn't matter how you lift it and that's also a no i think one of the best ways to look at uh the, the two things i like to point out when it comes to rounded back deadlifting first of all you know we don't move in everyday life the way that we quote brace for the gym for for heavy stuff so it's really okay to bend down and pick up a small object where we're both tilting to the side at our spine and in spinal flexion at our lumbar spine. That's okay. In fact, we want to be able to retain that movement quality over life. We also shouldn't bend over in a rounded spine without practice and education and try to maxim, like pick up the heaviest fucking object you possibly can. <laughs> and you mentioned this in all that, you know, it's, it's graduated exposure to, and, and building up the tolerance of the tissue, which includes your vertebrae, which includes the muscular structure of your core, upper back, you name it, and strength everywhere. So that way, a high-level power lifter who happens to be pretty rounded at their thoracic and maybe a little bit rounded at their lumbar, who is trained in bracing, which is why I call it a skill, can has better leverages to pull a one rep max while deadlifting. And it's perfectly safe as long as they have had graduated exposure over time and have developed that skill. Again, I wouldn't take a brand new client on day one who has limited, if no experience with this sort of thing, and try to max it out with a deadlift with a rounded back. I think that's really stupid and irresponsible. So, yeah. <laughs> excuse me. So, I, again, I think there's a ton of nuance to it. And I, you, you hit on this too. I think sometimes the nuance is lost in some of the messaging because, again, it's hard to control who's watching. But, you know, for someone to, hear that you know form doesn't matter which i find is sort of one of these messages that gets pushed i have trouble with that in that simple form itself because i i do think that technique and i like the fact you use the word technique and my partner in the, in the women's group program that we do bailey Lau, also pointed out you know the word technique technique is also important for recruiting the right muscles to achieve the right result right but mm. I, I don't think the message that the again it's the opposite end of the pendulum it's like okay yeah, form does not have a really strong research-based relationship with injury risk. It doesn't, okay? But at the same time, that does not mean that we throw form out the window and nothing matters. And yeah. I have found that whether it's intentional or not, the messaging of the other side of that spectrum tends to kind of sound that way. Yeah. And I think I, I think the thing that drives me the most crazy about this is maybe the people that say that technique doesn't matter or whatever, they're not providing that nuance, right? So they're speaking to, again, I, I don't want to overstep what I'm saying here, but mm -hmm. I think a lot of times maybe they're speaking to what their own audience wants to hear and people like, like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and again, I think a lot of these people probably, they, they know or no, a lot of them I know know that it matters, but what what, what they should be saying, and what I think they mean in a lot of cases is it doesn't matter as much as we think it does for injury risk <laughs> in in a overall sense, mm -hmm. right? So so it it does matter, but we can't say that because your technique is off by this much, you are screwed and you're going to have back problems. If we keep if we still keep talking about the deadlift here, mm -hmm. right? So it still matters, but we can't place oh, this is the reason why you're having the problem. This is why your back still hurts all on that. What we can do is say, hey, if we try to tweak your technique a little bit or try to maybe have you brace or, or not brace as much, it depends on the situation, right? Um, 
or we have you try to pull the bar back, engage your lats more, whatever. Um, that might have a positive effect. Let's try it out, right? So, but but it's not the end all be all, but the same. So, but it still matters, right? So, and and that that's where um, I, I I can't really. If there's anybody that really thinks it doesn't matter at all, I, I really don't understand. I, that doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> but it just sometimes the messaging, if you're looking at it from the outside, it, it does a lot of times look like they're saying technique and form does not matter. Or what they'll say, and again, I'm not trying to attack anybody specifically. I'm just, this is my critique, um, is that they might say something like um, technique matters for performance, but not for pain or injury. And, I and, like and they'll say that and they'll say that and, and to a degree they're right, right? Technique is super important for performance, especially as you get higher towards your one repetition maximum. Um, but you can't say it doesn't matter for pain or injury. It still matters, but it's so nuanced. And a lot of, a lot of that nuance comes with the fact that humans are fucking complex. Like everybody that walks, if every, if you had a hundred, I, I made a post about this before. If you had a hundred people that had the exact same problem, and they all had back pain. They all had pain with deadlifts in their back. Every single person has so many layers to them and their life or what they're dealing with or their recovery or what they're thinking about when they lift the bar off the ground. There's so many layers to there that you can't tell them all the same thing, even though they have the exact same symptoms, even though it hurts at the exact same weight, all that stuff. Um, so if, if everybody came in and they were a robot, then then of course you could probably have these black and white answers. But Part of my part of my problem with um, quoting research with some of this stuff, I, I I wish people would provide more nuance to say, hey, the research we, we can't say that this stuff is as important as we think it is because the research shows there's not really a strong correlation or whatever. But what they what they also can say is, hey, that the limitation, which will always be the limitation with this stuff, is that every person is different and we can't account for all that stuff that influences the pain and injury response or, or that's going to happen. So no matter how much research we perform, all we can say is that as a whole, we can't say that for every single person, this will work or won't work. That's really all we can say at the end of the day. And, and I think that's still powerful, but I think um, on either end of the spectrum, people can take this research and say like, see, it matters. See, it doesn't matter. And it's like, well, <laughs> all it's, all it's saying is that it doesn't matter as much as we thought it does as a global black or white answer but i think quote both sides get guilty of making blanket statements and i think often the opposing side of any one thing gets caught making kind of the the opposite but equal statement that still ends up at least coming off as being communicated as more absolute than it's really intended so i really hope anybody listening to this teases out all of the nuance about all this stuff and, and caleb you've actually done a wonderful job of i think explaining this phenomenon and i hope the people listening, it makes a lot of sense. So let's let's go a little deeper. You alluded to some of the things that, you know, there is strong evidence to support what in, increases the likelihood of injury risk or can contribute to pain. I know pain is a very tricky, nebulous topic, but uh, what what does matter? What, what does matter is really, <laughs> there's actually, hold on before I even answer that. Sure. There was a there was a paper recently, and again, I'm not very I'm not very good at like memorizing names and all that stuff of who wrote what or whatever. But there was a paper. There was this really cool graphic they made where it showed like pain, and then all these like uh, I don't know what kind of chart that is, but there's all these like different colors of things going off the side, and some words are bigger to show that it's more contributory, and some words are smaller. And it was like 
hundreds and hundreds of words, like all the things that can contribute <laughs> to, to the pain experience. Um, and, and really it, it has to do with, I guess, in a, to make it simplified rather than just kind of going too far down the rabbit hole here, the more, uh, more the more acute uh, a pain or, or an injury is. And that's, that's the first thing is that you can have pain with no injury. We know that because people have like phantom limb pain, or when you get stressed out, you you get a headache or your shoulders hurt and like you didn't injure yourself. It's just, there's a physical response to things to, to your body having some sort of imbalance of your your homeostasis, whatever that is, if your moods are off or whatever. Um, but like, let's say we're talking about like injury. Like, so when you have an acute injury, it's going to be a lot more related to what's happening in the tissues. So you have these impulses of your nervous system, basically going to your spinal cord, going to your brain and, and telling your body like, wow, there's something like going on here. We should protect that area. Let's create pain. It's an output so that we can keep that area from getting injured. So that's why you baby it and you give it some time, especially when there's a lot of inflammation. Um, and that can be something that like kind of comes up and down. If you keep re-aggravating it, you can kind of keep setting that off. But what becomes the problem is the longer you have pain for, and the longer that you, your, your body can heal, right? There's a, there's a healing process that happens if you have an injury. And after a period of like two to three months, when let's say all things are decently well controlled and your tissues have healed and you still have pain, then it becomes all the other factors at a higher degree of, of contribute, uh, as contributory factors, meaning like, okay, what are all the reasons why you still have this pain? Like, yes, there can be some mechanical things of how you're sitting or how you're lifting things. Or again, I keep referring to back, but, but it's probably not as important as it was at the beginning because it's less of a local problem. And what happens is your nervous system itself becomes more sensitive. So, um, there's actually a, was a pain psychologist, uh, Rachel Zoffness. I don't know if you know who that is, but she, and, and this is a, this is a, um, this is a metaphor that a lot of people have used, but she talks about like the pain dial and your nervous system can crank that up to volume 10 in some experiences. And you can actually decrease that pain sensitivity with what you do. So that's where things like your sleep, your stress, your, your mood, um, your thoughts, all that stuff can play into it. And we do know that people that tend to be hypervigilant so that they're so focused on their pain all the time and always trying to feel like, oh, am I feeling it? Am I not feeling it? Those people tend to have it. They're training their nervous system to become more sensitive because they're always thinking about it. Um, but then there's also people that are on the other spectrum where they just ignore it. And they're like, I just need to push through this. And so that's the other thing where if you, you need to learn how to maybe manage what you're doing better so that you're not just barreling through that um and so th there's a lot of stuff that plays into it but like you had mentioned earlier like even things like nutrition hydration sleep all that stuff can play into it and so what you want to look at especially if you've had pain for a long time is you want to try to make a list of all the things that you think might be contributing factors and if you need to talk to a professional to help you through that that's really important that's what i do with a lot of my clients who've had persistent symptoms and a lot of them have. Um, and then we, we figure out like, okay, yes, there's some things we can do from an exercise standpoint, from a, how we put together your program standpoint, but what are all the things in your life that could be contributing to it? And let's, which things can we modify and which things are hard at this point? Like if you're a new, like for, I can say this cause I have a, I have a one and a half year old and I'm going to have another one mm -hmm. in a couple of months. If you're, if you're getting three hours of sleep and it's broken up and you're stressed out and you're like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing and am I going to kill the baby <laughs> and all that stuff. It's like, of course, things are going to be 
not at their the right level. Your body's all out of whack, right? But you can't, you can only control that so much. So I'm not going to tell somebody like, Hey, you need to get more sleep if they're just had a, a kid, you know? So mm. I know I'm kind of just going all over the place here, but the, what I'm trying to say matters is it's different for each person. The, the big, the big rocks though, are your, your social circle, um, taking care of your general overall health, staying active, trying to keep your life as, as, close to possible as it was before you started having this issue. Um, eating well, staying hydrated, like all that stuff, sleep, all that stuff. It, it sounds so simple, like really, but like you, you'll be surprised how many people have, not you, but a lot of times people will be surprised as to how many of these things they didn't realize are contributing to their issue. And then you get that stuff taken care of. And if you still have an issue, then we kind of look more into the nitty gritty kind of stuff. But again, it can be so many things. There's literally hundreds of things that can contribute to this. There's, there's a lot here. And then again, pain and injury aren't necessarily equal on a one-to-one -one level either, right? And, and I think you cover that pretty well. When it comes to the injury side, especially too, you know, and risk, again, I think I'm pretty comfortable in saying that, you know, there's not a strong relationship between, you know, form and injury risk. I don't think there's none. Again, I think it's kind of one yeah. of those weird extremes that the tribes are kind of fighting over. But uh, I think I can comfortably say that one of the most clear predictors of future injury is past injury. I think that's one of the yeah. things that's, that's very strong. I still think that hydration status, a uh, stress level uh, can be substantial contributors to injury risk. Um, I try to think, I feel like there's, oh yeah. And I think one of the big ones too, is that the research also is pretty clear now on the fact that stretching does not have any sort of injury preventative benefit. Yeah. And, and, and all, so that's the, <laughs> That's the other thing is just quick note on stretching. This is so funny. There's so many people, and I, I, this is maybe, I don't know how, when this started, maybe 10 years ago or whatever, people got all on this train of like stretching bad, don't stretch, it doesn't do anything. And it's not actually lengthening your muscles and, and stuff like that. But, but at the same time, it's like, if we're just looking at, is the muscle able to get longer from a mechanical only standpoint? Like, yes, it doesn't do anything, but people can feel really good stretching. They can feel good. It can help relax them it can help them sit until they're more their parasympathetic state they can take their mind off of other things um they because they get more tolerant to having the muscle being stretched so they improve range of motion not because the muscle actually can lengthen more from a maximal standpoint but because their nervous system is letting go and letting them go into more stretch so there's, there's so many things where it's like it's still beneficial to a lot of people but just because it doesn't prevent injury and just because it doesn't mechanically get maximally longer doesn't mean it's not helpful for some people. Some people hate it and they don't need it and that's fine, right? But some people like love it and they feel great when they do it and it helps them recover maybe from not just because like not like their muscle is going to recover faster after a workout because they stretch simply at the muscle level. There's so many other things that can help them um, and how that can affect them in a positive way. Well, I think you hit on a big one there. It's the upregulating parasympathetic nervous system activation, right? That's huge. And my answer to, to people, because people ask about stretching all the time, and, and I, a couple answers. One is, while, hey, it doesn't seem to have any research-based uh, benefit to preventing injuries, if you enjoy it, go ahead. I'm also not worried about someone being weaker. Uh, right? I mean, if I had someone doing a one rep max attempt, I wouldn't have them static stretch right before it. But yeah. that effect also is pretty temporary. So I'm not it's super like one worried. minute or something. It's like after a minute, you can, you can do it. <laughs> so people say, don't stand stretch before you work out or lift heavy. And it's like, if you do, and you wait a few minutes and you 
talk to somebody for a couple of minutes before you lift or you're adding some weight to the bar, like you'll probably be fine by the time you actually are doing your working sets anyway. And that's one of those <laughs> things that people grabbed onto the other end of the spectrum and really rad with it for a while. And, you know, we were kind of worn never static stretch. And the one, so if anybody asks me, Hey, what stretch do you recommend for quote, this sort of injury, whatever. And I always say, listen, let's, let's get a smart physical therapist involved because that I am not skilled or qualified in being able to say that this stretch is going to have this effect on this injury because I can't diagnose and therefore know exactly what's going on with that injury. And I'm comfortable saying that. And I have never been passionate about diving deeply into knowledge and extensive knowledge about various different types of stretching. So it's like, here, we're going to, we're just going to get one of the physios to do this stuff. Yeah. And the place that I will use static stretching is if I want to get temporarily gain access to greater range of motion, oftentimes it's stretching your calves to get a little bit more ankle dorsiflexion so that person can move into it and control greater range of motion into say a squat. And if they're loading into that greater range of motion, especially pausing in there over time and with exposure and load, we probably can increase the mobility at that joint because we're loading into it. And that's actually a way you can improve the flexibility there. And again, yeah. that's a small effect and it's gradual, but that's an application of how I will use static stretching. Beyond that, I really don't have a lot of prescription for it. And I, and I feel like a lot of it's a little bit outside of my knowledge base and skill base. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think for, for some people, and, and you could say it, some people will say it's more, if you're doing more of a muscle stretch versus a joint mobilization or, or stretch deeper in the joint capsule or whatever. In any case, you're kind of doing the same thing as you're just trying to get the body kind of used to that position, more comfortable with it. And then you load it and you get more comfortable under load. And then yes, there's a temporary effect, but if you do that over and over and over again, you add load over time, it becomes more and more comfortable and you can, you can see obvious changes. Now, if you put that muscle, those muscle fibers under a microscope, are they going to stretch more when there's no human and no nervous system attached to it? Probably not. I mean, maybe muscles, can technically when they're loaded eccentrically and end of range they can grow longer to a degree but like that takes a really long time <laughs> and and most people that's not the effect they're seeing they're they're seeing just they're more comfortable there and they can tolerate it better and they've done it so many times mm. that their their mobility has improved not necessarily the muscle length or anything like that absolutely uh let's um we're out of time here so let's tell people where they can find more your media yeah, I'm I'm primarily on Instagram, so it's just my name. It's Dr. Kayla Burgess with periods in between, um, and then I am on Facebook and Twitter as well. But really, Twitter, the whole point of it is just to make posts for Instagram. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm talking to the guy right now. <laughs> yep. I, so, there's know, that, and then go ahead. I didn't create it, but I've uh, I've definitely contributed to popularizing it. You'd be surprised some of the the people in the industry who've sought me out to, to get on on calls and talk about things in order to approach their social media and and then just applying this and and some underlying things within that only to see their social media blow up it's it's really fun to say the least but back to you yeah so so that that's that and then and then facebook is really just a regurgitation of my instagram and i, I have a youtube account but um <laughs> i haven't had the time and it's more, it really, all it is, is an exercise, a pretty robust exercise library with private links for all my clients. Uh, but what's funny is I, my, my following on YouTube is growing and I have a completely private account. And I think it's just because people maybe might look and think, oh, he, maybe he'll open it up one day. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, that, it's most, mostly Instagram. 
people find you through Instagram. Caleb, this has been wonderful. I really appreciate having you on. Uh, thank you. This is one of my favorite episodes. And I, I love what I get to do, but I really enjoy this one because it's uh, it hits on a lot of interesting and nuanced stuff and, and what's going on in the industry. So everybody listening, go follow Caleb, go check out what he's doing. And he'll have a lot of media that'll be really helpful for your clientele as well. And if you're someone who has found me through Caleb's media and you're a first-time listener, well, scroll through the guest list and you will find Dr. Sam Spinelli and Dr. Tim DeFrancesco and Dr. Quinn Hennick and, and other notable like industry leaders across the board who are, are great thought leaders and uh, great educators. So hopefully you'll stick around and check out more. Caleb, thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, man.